Well, good morning. It's good to be together in the house of God. And this morning, I'm excited to bring a message that continues our series. And if you're one of our guests or you're new to this place, we are so glad uh, that you're here. And I wanted to let you know we're in the middle of a series focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're calling that series Rooted. But you see uh, this death symbol, the cross. And this is the part of the series we're in. We're focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ, about the death of Jesus, facing a little bit of our own mortality through this series as we lead up to Easter. And we're going to celebrate Easter big with with the resurrection of Jesus. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite us back to a passage we've looked at the last couple of weeks. Uh, and then we'll look at some other passages this morning. If you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 2 is the first place I'd like for you to go. We'll have the words on the screen uh, for you as well. Hebrews 2, uh, verses 14 and 15. This is a passage that helps us kind of orient this series a bit. It says there, uh, uh, I'm in the wrong book here. He, uh, Philippians won't work, will it? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. There's a few things in this passage that we've tried to point over the last few weeks. The first is that Jesus came for several reasons. One is to remove our sins for those who receive him as Lord and take him on in baptism, as we just saw a moment ago, which was a great symbol of what we're talking about in this series. You see, when, when we go into the waters of baptism, there's a death that happens in our lives. And as we're raised up to new life out of those waters, we're forgiven and cleansed. And that power continues to be at work in our lives. But there's this other power at work in the world. It's the power of death. And Christ has come so that that power might be defeated, that we no longer have to deal with the threat of death without the hope of resurrection. So we're going to talk more about resurrection in the weeks to come. But this morning... I want to come back to this passage about the slavery to the fear of death. And my guess is this morning that you don't think about the slavery to the fear of death all that often in your, in your life. We kind of push this aside about where things are headed. Uh, but this morning I want, to say, I want to come back to this idea of fear and say, look, fear is actually a good thing in our lives in certain measures. There, there is a good thing to fear because what fear does is fear is a survival instinct that allows us to respond In fact, many of us have lived as a result of the fear that creates a reaction in us. So usually that reaction to fear is known as fight or flight, something we do, right? It's this instinct that God's given to us. So if something comes up against us and is a fear, a threat to us, often we'll fight back against that threat. We'll step up against it in some way, put that threat aside. Other times, we don't respond by fighting. We, we, We respond with this flight instinct. The flight instinct is to run away, to move away from whatever it is that might be in our path, that might be a threat to our existence. And these are God-given responses to threats. Uh, It's true that the body actually has a whole physiology of how it responds to threats that come up against us. For instance, our blood pressure and and our our heartbeat raises when a threat comes to us. Doctors talk about all kinds of things that change. The pupils in our eyes actually dilate when fear or a threat comes in order to take in as much light as possible to be able to see and respond to the threats around us. Uh, our veins and our skin constrict so to send more blood to the major muscle groups. You can actually run faster when you feel a threat of something because your body is helping you respond to flee faster. There's, other, there's certain muscles that constrict to send more blood 
to those certain groups and areas. There's other muscles that relax so that uh, the oxygen can come to our lungs and not be working in other areas. There are systems in our body that actually shut down when threats occur. Uh, Systems like the digestive system and the immune system so that our flight response or our fight response can kick in. And all these physical responses are given to us by God. They're, They're gifts that God has given for survival. There was a movie that came out recently that was really helpful to me in seeing how this gets all played out in our minds. It's the book, a movie called Inside Out. How many of you have seen that movie? Great movie. It tells the story. It's an animated movie of a girl named Riley who's 11 years old. And Riley's moving with her family from Minnesota to San Francisco. And while she's on this journey with all the changes that come along with a move, we see inside Riley's mind to be able to see the brain function and headquarters, as they call it, and there's always a driver in the driver's seat at headquarters. Those different emotions that are personified in this movie by different characters are anger. I'm going to get called out by some, some of you in the crowd if I don't get this right, right? Anger, fear, sadness, disgust, and joy. And so we're about to show a couple of clips from this movie. The first introduces you to the character fear. So I want you to pay close attention, especially to the purple character, okay, in a couple of these scenes. This is fear personified for us. Let's roll that. So it introduces us to fear in that scene. You can see that. Can't you see this in your own interactions with things? And it's funny because some kids have a more developed sense of fear than others, right? Maybe it was your first kid. For us, it was our first kid that he was much more cautious around things like tables because fear was kicking in. Second, not so much. And so it's interesting how our kids have a more developed sense. Some play the driver's seat more than others. But fear serves a great role. The problem is when fear begins to respond to threats that aren't really that big of a threat. Some of us have experienced in our lives some anxiety, maybe, uh, to some extreme degrees. Uh, Maybe we've dealt with different things in our lives that cause us to see many more things as threats. And fear at that level can begin to paralyze us, can it? Some of you know that feeling and exactly what I'm talking about. There's a second scene I want to point out that kind of develops the character a little bit more. It says Riley's about to go to her new school for the first time. And if any of you have been to a, a new job or a new school or you remember walking into middle school for the first time, maybe you'll relate to this scene. Pay attention to fear again. How many of you can relate to that feeling, right? Being new somewhere, it's like fear has done its research and homework, right? Got a stack of papers, reams of papers to prove all that can go wrong. And if you were to dwell on that fear so often, it's amazing how that can begin to take over your life, isn't it? It's amazing how you can have a reason to do nothing in your life because you know that there are potential threats that could come. So fear can play a great role in our lives, but if we're not careful, fear can begin to overtake us in our lives. And, and I'm, I'm curious, I know there are some of you that can say, I'm grateful for fear. There have been times where fear has saved my life, but how many of us begin to see fear overtake the driver's seat, and begin to drive? You've been at points in that life, I'm sure, in the past. So fear does a couple of things. Again, it, it helps us fight. It helps us respond to threat in that way. It also uh, helps us uh, flee or run away from things. There are times where that's helpful. And there are times where it's not so helpful. And our fight, flight or fight uh, survival instincts protect us from threats, but they can keep us from engaging in ways in healthy relationships. And, and some of you can point this out in your own lives as well. See, fear is a survival instinct that benefits us. And I, this is what it comes down to, but we have to be careful because fear can also make us turn in on ourselves, become very self-focused. And I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. So what's the goal this morning? Well, for two weeks, we've talked about fear. We've talked about our slavery to the fear of death, that Jesus came to overcome that fear, some of the ways we try to ignore fear and temptations to move aside from that. So this morning, I want to move from that fear category to ask the question, okay, we don't stay in fear. What do we do to respond and move away from that? So I guess the question I want to start with this morning is, what's the opposite 
of fear. And if you think about that in your own lives, I think it's interesting what comes to our minds when it comes to that. For me, the, when I thought about it this week, the opposite of fear for me would be peace or calm or comfort in some way. Sometimes I pray for the Holy Spirit to work in certain situations to bring peace and, and comfort. But I, the more I think about it, I don't think that peace and comfort is the opposite of fear. I think it's something else that Scripture points us to. So how do you try to stop fear in your life? I'll come back to that in just a minute. How do you try to stop fear in your life? Some of us just go straight at it, and we try to stop it by saying, I'm not going to be afraid of this anymore. Have you tried that before? I'm just I'm, I'm going to bear through it. I'm going to get past it. Once I have success on the other side, then it'll be fine. I've done this before when it's come to a, a new diet in my life. Right? I'm trying to stop certain behaviors, right? So I'm going along, and I'm driving up Greenville, and all of a sudden I see Max's donuts, and there's a whole crisis that happens. Because I, I know I can't stop in if I, but how do you say no to Max's Donuts, right? I know it's getting closer to lunchtime, so I, I got to be careful with the food illustrations. But you try to focus on what you don't do, and it's amazing how sometimes focusing on not doing it, it's like me telling you, don't think about a pink elephant. Whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant, right? What are you thinking about? And sometimes we try to stop behaviors by focusing on, I can't do this activity. I can't drive by, and where do I end up? I end up in Max's Donuts. So I wonder what it is that we replace that with. How do we move away from that focusing on not doing something to replacing it? And that's what the Bible talks about. I want to take you to a passage in 1 John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, this will be the main place uh, we'll spend time in this morning. 1 John 4. John uh, writes a letter and talks a lot about a specific subject. If you know the book, you might know where I'm going. But I want to read from 1 John 4 verse 18. This is the replacement I want us to see. It says there, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The opposite of fear to me is not confidence or peace. The, op- the opposite of fear in our lives is love. That's what First John's talking about. But there is, no, uh, lo- there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. We could say the opposite is true as well. Perfect fear drives out love. Because when we fear things that are outside of us, all of a sudden we stop that ability to be able to step into others' lives and show love and compassion in those situations. So if you want to live a life with less fear, the answer is not to focus on fear and say, I'm not going to fear anymore. The focus would be instead to ask the question, how do I begin to step into love more and more in my life? How do we learn to lead with love? That's the question. And the next verse in 1 John 4 actually talks about, I think, a way to look at that. Verse 19, we love because He first loved us. So if we're struggling with fear, we're wanting to love more, the first place to begin is to know that we are loved by God before we're able to, ever able to love someone else. If we don't feel secure in our own love that God offers to us, the love we have in relationships, you can think about this relationally. There are people that you know love you and have your best interest at heart. It's easier to trust them and not step into fear. But if you've been wounded by someone before in a relationship, all of a sudden love's not there. Fear begins to override, right? We, we, we fight sometimes or we Flight's the, the course that some of us take. But if love's the place we step into, all of a sudden we realize God loves us. And if we can stand on that truth that God loves us, all of a sudden we have the security to know no matter what anyone else does to us, we can be assured there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Amen? That God has us. He, he, he sent His Son to the world. And that's the great example of what the cross does for us. Love originates with God. God is love. And He expresses His love to us in so many ways. One of the key ways he does that is by sending his son Jesus on the cross. 
So when I introduced you to the concept of fear today, I talked about the self-focused nature of fear, that fear is about protection. In fact, if I could just image this for you this morning, when we're afraid, that fight-or-flight response, that survival response is a protective response. It's to turn in on ourselves, right? And that's just a natural response when a threat comes is we start here, and then maybe we think about protecting those who are around us, right? Take care of your oxygen mask before you take care of those. There's an initial response to fight or flight, and then maybe to helping others. But that initial response is God-given. There's nothing wrong with the initial response that we have to respond with fear in that way. But love is something we've got to move to after that initial response because fear, again, it's self-focused. And if we're focused on protection, there's no way we can express love to anyone else. But what is love? Love is the opposite. Love is actually a very vulnerable place. The picture of Jesus on the cross with his arms is not a picture of protection, is it? It's a picture of what happens when the worst comes to humanity and love uh, is shown on full display. So it's vulnerable, it's risky. When we step into relationships and trust, it's a risky venture. When we step into love and commit our lives to someone, it's a risky venture because if that love is not returned, we can't control it. We're not protecting when we choose to love someone else. We see this picture in in the book of Philippians. I'd like to turn quickly to this verse. This is Philippians 2, verse 3. We see a picture of what Jesus is doing on the cross. Listen closely uh, to what it's saying in light of all this idea about protection versus opening ourselves with love. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, love and fear cannot coexist. They're like oil and water. So when we choose to fear, we protect ourselves but it's not like you get to choose 60% and 40%. When, when fear is the response, it's going to be very hard to open up and love others. When love is the response, it's going to be very hard to protect ourselves. And that's the choice we have to make. And it's amazing how this impulse kind of works in our lives and works against us. But the goal this morning, I want to make sure I make this clear, the goal is not fearlessness. It's not we're in slavery to the fear of death, so we become fearless as a response to it. No, no, no. The goal is not not going into Max's Donuts, right? The goal is love. It's that response. It's what we replace our fear with. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to move from fear and protection to opening ourselves up to threat, to loving others who come into our lives. Look at what it says next in 1 John chapter 4. This is verse 20 and 21. This is the response of how we go about this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar for Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There have been times in my life where I've believed that if I just got all the right beliefs down, that God would be proud of me and I would be in a right relationship with him, right? If I could just get all the doctrines right, if I could, if I could respond in obedience in all the right ways, then I'm there. Passages like this remind me, it can't just be about what's in our heads. Christianity, following Jesus, is a lived pursuit. It means that we have to love people that are sometimes unlovable. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Those are are hard words. And he's given us this command, the last part of this. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother 
and sister. And this is the growing response that we've got to learn when it comes to fear in our lives is how do we open up from the protection of fear to begin uh, to, to move into the lives of others. And i got to say, there are times to protect ourselves. That is an instinct that God has given us. And so there are times to close off relationships. There are times where we have to step in and, and be able to protect people in abusive situations. Don't hear me saying it's only love, it's only openness, but this is the track that we're on as disciples of Jesus is more and more into a place of opening ourselves up, of loving those who are around us, all of God's children. But there are moments when we see this lived out in particular ways that are really helpful. And one of these moments happened uh, in, in October of 2013, the beginning of a story. Uh, their names are the Brantleys. Some of you probably know them, Kent Brantley. Uh, Kent and his wife Amber and his kids moved to uh, Liberia, West Africa in October of 2013. They were going as missionaries, medical missionaries, to support the work uh, that was going on in, in Liberia. Kent was a medical doctor and was going over there to help. You may know the story already, but just about five months later in March of 2014, Kent and Amber heard for the first time about the Ebola epidemic in the first case that had come up in their area of Liberia. They began to ask questions about what does this mean for us? Do we need to go back home? No, this is the reason we've come here. And so on a trip back home, Amber and the kids went back, came back to Texas and, and, uh, and, and Kent stayed to go about and continue his work. And as he continued on, one morning he came down with a, a temperature and was hopeful that it was a cold or something else, but he soon be, began to realize that this was Ebola that he had contracted. And I want you to imagine being the father of two kids, young kids, and a wife who are back home. You've committed your life to loving others, and there would have been this impulsive instinct to protect and run away from it, but he stayed in the midst of that. This is what I love first responders for, don't you? Is that many of us are running out of buildings. First responders are people who have that fight impulse that step in and, and don't protect themselves on, on, on our behalf. Well, Kent was one of those who chose to do this, and he came down with this, and that hard phone call had to be made from Kent to his wife, Amber of what had happened, and, and the hard thing is she knew exactly what that meant because dozens and dozens had died and only one had survived to that point that they had seen and touched with their own hands. Well, the story goes on, and in just a few hours and days, he gets word that there's an experimental serum, a, a medicine that may be able to heal them and help them. And there was word that he and his partner Nancy, who'd come, back with, uh, uh, come down with Ebola as well, that there'd be enough for both of them. But when uh, the medicine came, they discovered it was, there would only be enough for one of them. As if it was this movie plot, right, that this young father has to make a decision about his life or the life of his partner. And I don't know about you and what you would do in that situation. That is a situation where the purple character fear kicks in, right? Where that fight or flight response comes in. You think about your kids. You think about your family. Some of you have been in these life or death decisions. And in that moment, Kent, who grew up in a family of faith that had told him stories about Jesus for years, said, it, you need to give that to Nancy can't imagine making that decision. And the whole world's looking in on this story. And there's a part of me that hears that and my heart swells. And there's another part of me, my heart just is, breaks for a family like that to have a father make that decision. What I love about it is while the world's looking in wondering why is this dad not getting his, a story about faith, a story about God and his story actually impacting the life of a person is what made all the difference. And that story got to be told when Kent came on the news and began to share more about his story. He talked about a peace that passes understanding. You know how long it took Kent to make that decision? It took him decades. 
It took him decades of hearing the story of Jesus, of working through this anxiety about death, of getting to a place that he knew, I'm willing to give myself up, I'm willing not to protect myself, because this is what love requires. And some of you have been on that path for decades as well. Some of you are just now starting out, but the goal for disciples of Jesus is that more and more, when threats come our way, our response is not fear, but our response is love, even if that means sometimes that we have to depend on resurrection to be the answer rather than healing. That's a hard word for those of us who are walking through this with, with families. It would have been easy to be Kent and make that case that he could have used it more. But I'm grateful for examples like his. You see, there are reasons to be afraid in the world. I mean, it, it's okay to be afraid of your death. This is a natural response. It's, it's, it's natural to fear the unknown. It's natural, natural to, to fear the Zika virus or ISIS or even refugees that are fleeing from ISIS. That's a natural response. But the call of the gospel is to move past that initial survival instinct in us and to move open and remember the cross of Jesus Christ and what Jesus moved towards. You know, if, if you're paying attention at all, you know that people can exploit our fears, right? You've seen any of these ads that have been on television leading up to Super Tuesday? Maybe you've seen this at work. Because it's a great way to get votes, really, because this survival instinct's obvious. So if you can just create that fear impulse in people, and, and, and tap into that. You can exploit that fear by giving yourself as the answer to all those fears, right? It's a great strategy to get votes. And the problem is, it's not just politicians. That's an easy shot. The church has been involved in this same behavior. How often have we used fear to get people to make decisions about following Jesus Christ? And I'll tell you, fear's a motivator. It'll work for a season. But it doesn't last long-term fear. The only motivation that lasts long-term is a love that God passes on to us. And the Great Commission doesn't say, go into all the world and help people make decisions to follow Jesus. What does it say? Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded. I'll be with you. And that's so important as we walk through these fear impulses to know that God is with us every step along the way. So I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what you're walking through right now. But we've got to admit that this cannot be the way we bring disciples into the kingdom of God because what you win people with is what you win people to. And if we've been one with fear, it's amazing how often fear begins to develop in our own lives. Uh, in just a moment, we're about to come to the table, the Lord's Supper together, to share in the bread and juice, a reminder of the story of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. And as we're walking through this next uh, time at the table, we're going to have a, a song that's played during that. It's a time of reflection. It's a time to remember the body and blood of Jesus. But I want to ask you to think about this tension, this tension between fear, this natural instinct, that purple character, and the tension of love, this impulse to open ourselves up, exactly the example that Jesus gave us on the cross. I want you to think about that. What is it in your life right now that you need to, to be reminded that we need to move away from the fear that's there to move, away, uh, move toward the love that God calls us to. On the cross, Jesus showed us the extent of his love, and, he, and through his death, he freed us from the slavery to the fear of death. And right now is a communion meditation. I'd like to read from Romans chapter 8, a couple of verses. I'd love for you to dwell. Maybe you want your Bible open here, or maybe the song in just a moment. It applies to these verses as well, real well. But I want you to hear these words. Romans uh, chapter 8. beginning in verse 14, 14 and 15. Hear these words. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children 
of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves. Let me read that again. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you are, live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The song that they're about to share with us and that we invite you to sing along with as we share in communion is a song called No Longer Slaves. And I don't know if this is a song you know, but I hope this is a song maybe that will minister to you in these next moments and maybe over the next few weeks. This song has been with me for about the last four months. It's been one of those songs that when I fear, it's one of those things to turn on and play on repeat. You ever do that with a song over and over and over again? Ministers to me in ways. This is one of those songs. And so as we think about fear, as we think about love, as we think about this good news in Romans 8, that we're no longer slaves to that fear, I want to invite you into this time of sharing in the supper together. Uh, And I want to pray right now as we enter into this time. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for his life, for his death, for his resurrection. Thank you that we're no longer slaves to fear. We're children of God. We get to cry out, Abba, Father, because you are our Father, that you love us. And that allows us, through your love, to be able to love others. So God, would you fill us right now with a reminder of that? With this bread and with this cup, would it remind us of the good news that is ours? We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.